Just as a reminder, our church family became a partner with EEM, uh, Eastern European Missions. Um, the tagline of that organization is, the Bible, we want everyone to get it. Don't you just love that? Uh, putting the Bible in the hands of those who do not have one. Started in Eastern Europe. I think it has uh, expanded uh, larger than that. But about the last three years, we became the partnering church, overseeing congregation with EEM. They have their own board, their own nonprofit. Their uh, uh, board met here over the weekend. Uh, at, since, since they were here, I think Kelly asked Dirk to consider if it fit his schedule, staying over and being our speaker, and he gladly agreed. Um, Bob Walker, my father, Kent Dale, another one of our shepherds, are on the EEM board. Several of their uh, people are still with us this morning. Hope you get a chance to meet them. But our speaker this morning is Dirk Smith, has been a good friend of mine. Even before uh, our oldest son, Will, went to Harding uh, to start his college career, Dirk and his wife, Wendy, welcomed Will into their small group, had a college small group, reminds me of our Intergen groups, uh, but Dirk was a, sort of a second father figure to Will, our son, while he was there at Harding. Uh, he has stayed a close friend. Dirk is from Philadelphia, raised in South Jersey, but then uh, went to school in Harding, went back to work on the East Coast, came back to work as a fundraiser for Harding, and it was after that that he became uh, employ an employee with EEM. He is their vice president and in charge of all their fundraising and has done a great job, I think is now in his 10th year. Uh, his message uh, is going to be inspiring, but please join me in prayer before he begins. God, thank you for the time we have to come together. Uh, to recharge, to renew, to be encouraged, uh, to be inspired, to be challenged. Uh, sing praises together, remember who we are, and that we are yours, and that we are saved by grace. Uh, and we get to live um, to glorify and to honor you uh, as a way of saying thanks for being your children. I pray that you use dark this morning. Um, Bring a powerful message through him. May your spirit uh, lead him. May we have ears to hear and listen to his message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sid. Well, I'm going to move this back. I looked back there and those monitors weren't on during the singing. You were amazing. You knew all those words without even seeing those. I was, I was impressed. I got a little nervous. I thought, uh-oh, I'm going to have to move this thing up here and bring my iPad up here so I can keep up with myself. Good morning. It is great to be here. It is, uh, it is a blessing to be associated with this great church, and we had an amazing weekend spent with your shepherds yesterday morning and staff, and you are so blessed. Uh, I am, I'm a little jealous that, uh, that a church like this is, is not in, in my area, but I'm thankful that you are here in this community preaching the gospel of Jesus. This morning, I'm going to share some stories and um, we're going to get a little real. So I'm a visitor, so you can't fire me. And uh, so I only know one thing to do, and that's to speak the truth. And unfortunately, sometimes the truth hurts a little for us 
as we look introspectively at ourselves and really take note of how we doing? How are we doing as people who claim to be children of God? I don't know about you, but many of us probably felt like this in 2020. Marty, whatever happens, dude, don't go to 2020. Man, it was rough for a number of reasons. And for many of the reasons that God made us to make it rough for us. Because we couldn't do this. We couldn't gather together. We were not made to be in isolation. God created us to live in community and to be with each other. And that was, that was hard. Everybody at home and the stories of isolation were just horrible. But I'll tell you, in 2020, we at EEM had no idea what was coming. And we had to make some changes along the way because there was a lot of things we couldn't do. We had to shift. And we prayed like we always do. Prayed constantly in realization that this is not our ministry, this is God's ministry. And I'm going to go quickly. These are the only numbers you're going to hear this morning, and we're going to blaze through them. But this is what happened in 2020. In 2019, we saw a record year of distribution. But in 2020, it was blown out. Folks, I'm here to tell you, we felt like we were stockbrokers with the hottest stock in 2020. Now, why should that surprise us? People were at rock bottom. They're looking for hope. They're looking for, why am I here? What am I doing here? Where am I going? And they began asking for God's word. We have never seen requests like we saw in 2020. And we thought, boy, this is an anomaly because of that. But you know, we live in a different world. And so today, as we went through some of our numbers, through six months, you can see this year through six months, we've almost already exceeded the entire distribution of 2018. The requests are pouring in. And we are doing everything we can to keep up with them. What a great problem to have, right? People want God's word. Now, that's the what. The bigger question that I want to focus on for our time this morning is the why. Why is that happening? And I'm going to share some stories with you. For security reasons, and I know this is being live streamed, I'm going to fog out this great lady's face, and I'm not going to use her real name. I'm going to call her Esther. Esther and her husband and her daughter came to Greece like many of the Muslim refugees did over the past number of years on one of those large boats just packed with people. They get to the coastline of Greece, and they have nothing. They've given it all. And they're met there by Christians who take care of them. Her husband doesn't have all of his paperwork in order, but she does. He is sent to prison temporarily. She and her daughter go to the mainland. And her husband tells her, Esther, find a Christian church. Because based on the way they've treated us, I know they'll take care of you. Wow, shouldn't that be our story? So she did. Now, was that the only thing that made her want to come to Jesus and know about Jesus? Over and over, over again, from Esther and from countless others, Jesus is coming to them in their dreams. 
Now, for us in our Western heritage right now, some of you are going, this, this guy is crazy. But I'll tell you, you got to meet them and talk to them and hear their stories. So she studies. She studies with the church there in Golfada, just outside of Athens. She reads about Jesus, and she falls madly in love with Jesus. She decides she wants to be baptized. What a great picture of a babe in Christ. She's being baptized. She knows Jesus is her Lord, but she's not quite ready to get rid of that head covering. Not yet. So she's baptized in the head covering. Now today, Esther and her husband and her daughter, which is why their faces are fogged out, you know where they are? Back in the nation of Iran in the underground church movement. Do you know where the fastest growing church in the world is right now? Iran. And you know who's leading it? The persecuted and abused women. You hear their stories and it's staggering, but they are all in. They risked everything. They could have stayed in Greece and made a happy life for themselves. But no. They've fallen in love with Jesus and so they go back to Iran. Another story. This is Yasser and his wife Zara. I love Yasser and Zara, but I'll tell you, I love Zara. Zara gets a hold of a New Testament. She's reading it. Yasser comes in. They're both from Afghanistan. Yasser comes in and sees Zara reading the New Testament, and he tells her very poignantly, you either put that book down and never pick it up again, or I will kill you or divorce you, which divorce in their culture is death because she would have nothing. Now, I want you to hear Zara's words. It wasn't, no, it wasn't, I will not. Her words were, as she shared the story with me, and Yasser did, I can not. I cannot. It's not a, I will not. It is I am not physically, that's not physically possible for me. I cannot put this book down. So there's animosity between them. The relationship is strained, tragically strained. Yasser, because he's bored, he's trying to find a job, he comes in and the Bible is sitting on the nightstand and so he picks it up and he starts reading it to try and get ammunition against her. Yasser's words to me were, Dirk, the text and the scriptures consumed me. I couldn't put it down. I couldn't put it down. So I want to take you back to this picture. You may not recognize this gentleman who's baptizing Esther. That's Yasser. The guy who said, put that book down or I will kill you or divorce you, becomes a disciple of Jesus. And then what is right along line with being a disciple of Jesus? He is a disciple maker. He is making disciples. Why? Because he has to. Not because he's being made to, because he can't help it. It is a natural response to what he's been given and received. Here's where I want us to be honest. How many of us have read this passage? And we kind of read over it. We're like, yeah, and we even say it. Boy, yeah, that's my, for, for me to live is Christ and die. 
Come on. Really? Can I say that? Can I say that for me to live is Christ? My life is the gospel. That's why I exist. My every breath I take, everything I do is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if I die, it's gain. And then Paul's statement at the end, his question, what shall I do? I don't know. I don't know. What's better? See, we get churchy sometimes and we read these words, but do they really infect us? And are we really introspective to say, is that me? You see, for Paul, it was that transformation that took place. On the road to Damascus, the person that Paul was and the person that he is is completely different and changing as we watch Paul progress. Do you think the butterfly, and this is a bad analogy, but it's the best one I could come up with. Do you think the butterfly can go back into the cocoon? Better question, do you think it would want to? Man, it's out, it's flying, it's free. Not trapped up in that prison that it's been in. That's why Paul says to the church in Corinth, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is dead. It's passed away. And the new has come. But here's my introspective question for me and for you. Am I a different person today than I was yesterday? And the day before, and heaven forbid, a different person than I was before I said, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. Is transformation taking place in my life? Not because of what I'm doing, but because of what I'm not doing. Because of me giving up me and saying, Spirit, come inside of me. Live inside of me. Jesus says, Powerful words. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Our society today, we live in a messed up world. What's our identity? Well, that's my color of my skin. It's my nationality. It's my sexual orientation. It's my political party. Some people are ready to walk out right now. What's my identity? What does Jesus say? I don't care what your propensity to sin is. We don't all struggle with the same sin. I may not have the struggle with same-sex attraction that other people do. But I may struggle with porn. I may struggle with lust. See, it's really easy. Jesus addresses this. Hey, get that beam out of your own eye before you start trying to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We start talking about sexual sin. It's amazing how many people say, boy, good, I'm glad we're going to talk about the gays. Folks, 75% of us who claim to be disciples of Jesus had sex before we were married. 
Last time I checked, that's sexual sin. We have our own issues. And Jesus says, I don't care what they are. Be born again. Be born again. I don't care what your struggle. We have, we have this society right now that says, hey, this is who I am. Accept me as I am. You need to learn my personality so you accept me as I am. No, no. Jesus says, be born again. That's not who you are. You're born again. We are blessed and staggered by what is going on in public schools in the part of the world that we are blessed to serve. It's a picture of kids in the nation of Ukraine. In Ukraine right now, we have at their request put Bibles in close to three-fourths of the public schools in the nation of Ukraine. Now, it's not mandated, but they offer an elective class called Christian Ethics, and 90-plus percent of the kids take it. That is spreading across our footprint. In the nation of Croatia, just this year alone, Right at 300,000 children's Bibles went into the public schools in Croatia. To date, we have placed over 600,000 children's Bibles in the nation of Croatia. And who's our partner in this? Who's opening the door in the nation of Croatia? The Catholic Church. You see, Croatia is a Catholic nation. The Catholic Church controls everything, including the public schools. God is doing something huge because if you can get a Bible in the hands of somebody who is Catholic, and they begin reading. I met my good friend here from Philadelphia. We grew up in a very Catholic-influenced culture. And I can remember growing up, if I could just get my Catholic friend to read the Bible, they began asking questions that the priest would then say, stop reading that book. It's a dangerous book. The most common statement made when we share that information, me or any of the guys that work with EEM, is, man, wish we could do that here in the U.S. Wish that could happen here. And they'll oftentimes turn it back on us. What are you guys doing to make that happen here in the U.S.? I'm like, really? If it's happening there and it's not happening here, why not? Why not? What's the difference? What can we learn from them and do some self-evaluation on ourselves? Let me tell you some of my observations. I see a hunger for God there that, church, I'm just going to be honest, and I'm, not, I'm preaching to the choir because you're here. I see a hunger for God there that I do not see here. I see a hunger to know God in a way that is foreign to many of us in church. They read the Bible. Now that may sound weird, but we're going to talk about that in here in a minute. They actually read the Bible. Now this is not a scientific study by any stretch of the imagination. But when I first started going to Ukraine, that was the first place I, I kind of experienced this. I asked a gentleman who got a Bible for the first time, and he was talking about reading it all the way through. And I just... Part of conversation, I just said, when you got your first Bible, how long did it take you to read Genesis to Revelation? He told me, and I about dropped my teeth. I was like, so I took note of that. And then I started asking people intentionally. So 10 years later, I've accumulated 
Quite a few of those. You know what the average length of time for a Ukrainian to read Genesis to Revelation is? Four weeks. Four weeks. And we pat ourselves on the back when we do it in a year. We hear the same thing from the refugees. And you know what they tell us when we say, what's this book about? They look at us like we're stupid. Jesus. Yes, it is. When you read it in its entirety, that's the message you get loud and clear. Jesus is our Lord. Period. Now, how do they read it? That's another thing. They don't pick it up and say, all right, so here's my beliefs. Let me go find those. Let me read this. Oh, there it is. Yep, that, that confirms what I believe. Oh, and here's another one that confirms what I believe. Oh, and let me read this out of context. And No. They open it and they say, Spirit, speak to me. Talk to me. God, what do you want me to learn today? For those that know me, sleep is overrated for me. My team knows it. They hate it because frequently I might shoot them a text at four in the morning thinking they won't get it, but then I've learned it wakes them up so I don't do that anymore. But I just don't require a lot of sleep. But there was a period of time in my life, and I had a great mentor when I was living up in Philadelphia, where I had insomnia, couldn't sleep. And I remember sitting with him at lunch one day, and I said, Jerry, have you ever had insomnia? He said, what do you mean by insomnia? And I thought, I, I think that's a pretty well-known word. I said, I can't sleep. And he said, do you fall asleep or you can't get to sleep? Tell me about it. I said, no, I go to sleep, but then I wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning, and then I can't get back to sleep. He said, you remember the story of Eli? Samuel? I said, yeah. Get up. Talk to God. He has something to tell you. Practice that for 25 years. And he always speaks to me. Not audibly. I don't hear an audible voice. But in whatever I pick up to read, it may be that day, it may be the next day, it may be that week where I say, thank you, God, for what you just shared. Because they read that way, we're seeing transformation. We're seeing lives that were drastically different here than they are here. It is moving in a direction that is God-like, that is Christ-like. And because of the transformation, they're disciples. And disciples are making other disciples. They are involved in discipleship. And then the most beautiful, last but not least, we are seeing unity. We are seeing unity amongst people that would never have sat across the table before and embraced and had conversations about God and getting the Bible. Father Ugrin, an Orthodox priest, was sitting in Serbia... And he looks at us, and in a very simple way, just says, you know, and it's Father Ugrin, who is an Orthodox priest, it's Father Charles, who's a Catholic priest, a number of Protestant leaders, and us. Now, it sounds like a joke because we were sitting at a coffee shop, but it's not a joke. And Father Ugrin says, you know, the closer we get to God, 
the closer we get to each other. And that's it. If we'll keep our eyes on God, we're going to look beside us and go, wow, I've never seen those people before. Who are they? It's beautiful. It's John 17. It's Jesus' prayer for all of his believers and followers. Lifeway in Nashville did a recent survey and did some research. Now, you may not be able to see that from back there, but this underneath where it says, how often do you read? There's a little thing that says, among Protestant churchgoers. This, this was a survey of the people who say, I'm all in. I'm a disciple of Jesus. How often do you read the Bible? Every day, 32%. 32% of us who claim to be followers of Jesus read the Bible every day. And then it starts dropping off. Can you imagine telling your spouse, hey, I love you. We are one. But you know what? We're going to talk to each other every day 32% of the time. We don't really need to communicate. I don't need to hear from you. You don't need to hear from me. And what do we often hear when we talk to people about that? Man, I would love to read my Bible more. I just don't have time. Really? Where do we spend our time? This thing right here is a blessing and a curse. You've seen it. Sitting in a restaurant. Two people across the table from each other. No conversation. People walking. Bumping into people. Because they're focused on this. You know what the average length of time people spend on social media is in the United States of America right now? 2.5 hours per day. And we don't have time to read our Bibles. Don't have time for God. But man, I have time to get that selfie, make sure the light is right, man, and post it, and make sure I get the little hearts and the little thumbs up, make sure everybody likes me. Because what's our issue? I am God. I am God. And that's not even to mention Netflix and all the streaming services that we have. All right, I'm going to speed up because I'm watching my time here. I got a business idea. And I need investors. Here's my business idea. I'm going to come here to Bryan College Station. And I'm going to teach Aggies how to be rabid Aggie fans. Because they really need help with learning how to be rabid Aggie fans. They're just not all in. I mean, they, they just don't tell you that they're Aggie fans. You don't even know they're an Aggie fan. I mean, they keep it to themselves. They're quiet about it. So we're going to, I just need to invest. Yeah, nobody's hands are going up. If I could figure out how to shut you people down, it would be great. My sons who went to the University of Arkansas are making me quarantine for 10 days when I come back just because I've been in College Station. If that's a bad business plan, then pray tell, why do we have evangelism seminars? 
Why do I need you to tell me how to share with someone about Jesus who has changed and transformed my life unless he has not? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Those are Jesus' words. How do we get to the Father? Jesus. Well, you can go, Jesus. No, we can go, Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No other way. He's it. He is the answer to everything. Do we believe this? Is Jesus the way, the truth, and the life? Or is America the way, the truth, and the life? Or is conservative politics the way, the truth, and the life? Is the Republican Party, is the Democratic Party? You see, what I talk about and spend my time trying to convince people about, that's what I believe is the way, the truth, and the life. That's going to change their life. But of course, that takes me to the next point. What kingdom are we living in? You see, if it's Jesus' kingdom, which he says is not of this world, then what do I spend my time talking about? Again, I'm stepping on toes and I'm stepping on mine, but it was amazing to me during 2020 how many believers in Jesus were petrified, frozen with fear, Wouldn't move. Scared to death. Of what? Of what? What am I afraid of? Jesus tells us, in this life you will have trouble. It's a promise. Which is why he says, if you hear my words and you don't obey them, Then you're like the man who built his house on sand. See, many of us, when we feel that foundation moving and cracking, it's because we're not on the right foundation. We're not living in the right kingdom. This kingdom will fail us. You will fail me. I will fail you. He will never fail us. Never has, never will. On June the 5th of 2020, my wife was diagnosed with ALS. Lou Gehrig's disease. Not something we wanted. Many trips to Vanderbilt, finally a trip to Mayo, but a diagnosis of ALS, a death sentence, a horrible death sentence. Wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. But it was amazing to me how many good intentioned people Wrote us, and their hearts were good. Don't hear me say their hearts were not. Their hearts were good. They wrote us sweet notes and emails and said, we're praying for you, and it was wonderful. But then, because of the biblical illiteracy, they would misquote 1 Corinthians 10 and say, but isn't it wonderful to know that as a Christian, you'll never be given more than you can handle? What? That is not what that passage says. And I very lovingly wrote an admonishment response after the 37th one came in and said, I'm going to beg you to read 1 Corinthians 10. 
It's talking about sin. It's talking about temptation. No, we don't have to sin. We're never tempted beyond what we can bear. It has nothing to do with life's struggles. This world is broken. And many people have asked the question, why your sweet wife, Wendy? Wrong question. Why not? This world is broken. You've dealt with it. You've lost loved ones. You may have lost a child. You may be dealing with cancer. This world is broken, but guess what? This is not our home. When we get to heaven, we are not going to stand and sing the national anthem. God will not say, let's all face the flag and pledge allegiance. We are going to bow at the feet of Jesus and be in awe. See, and that's part of the problem. Is he our Savior or is he our Lord? See, a lot of us are enamored with him being our Savior. We love that Savior thing. Everybody wants fire insurance. We need insurance, but I only want it when I need it. So I love Jesus as my Savior. Man, him being my Lord, that means all those red letters, if you've got a red letter edition Bible, I'm telling you, I'd love to Jefferson Bible some of those. They're hard. Pray for my enemies. Get up and pray for our leaders. You know that we're told and commanded every day we should be praying for President Biden. Now you're really ready to leave. It's a command. Pray for our leaders. But are we obedient to that? Quick story. And I'm running over. I'm sorry. First time we met these two gentlemen, one is Yasser, who you've met, the other is Masood. And this is Bart Rubinsky, who's here in the picture with them. Bart's our VP of European Operation. First time we met these guys, they're both from Afghanistan, and they were just joking around, having fun, working together side by side. And so the question was asked of them, hey, are you guys, you're both from Afghanistan, were you friends in Afghanistan? After laughter, they looked at us and said, no, no. He's Shiite. I'm Sunni. In our country, we're mortal enemies, but in Jesus, we're brothers. So now side by side, they study God's word and they are making disciples. Why? Because a peace treaty was signed to bring them together. This is a holy war that began in 632 A.D., what had the power to break down the walls of a holy war of that age? Jesus, the Prince of Peace. That's the only answer. It's not politics. It's not peace treaties. It's not a government leader. It's not anything like that. It's Jesus in his word. That's why Paul says, knowing all things, we are more than conquerors. And I just underlined here, I'm just going to emphasize this. I am persuaded. Some translations say convinced. That's why Paul, and we see this passage in 2 Corinthians 11, and we go, this guy was crazy. He kept going after receiving 40 lashes from the Jews, three times was beaten, once on and on and on. You just read that passage of all the persecution that he endured, and he kept going. Why? Because he was persuaded. That Jesus was Lord and nothing else mattered. His life was the gospel. That's why when Jesus is about to leave this earth, he gives us our directive. What does he say? Go, there, go therefore and make 
good attending church members. Nope, not what he said. Go make disciples. Go make disciples of all nations. Don't go make Americans of all nations. Don't go make Republicans of all nations. Don't go go make disciples of who? Jesus. Make disciples of Jesus. And if we're disciples, we're disciple makers. So here's where it gets personal. Who are you discipling today? You right now in that relationship with and discipling. Who am I? It's a great song. Man, I, I listen to these words all the time. Because this is a disciple maker's heart. This is an all-in disciple's heart. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. If the mountains bow in reverence, so will I. If the oceans roar your greatness, so will I. For if everything exists to lift you high, so will I. If the wind goes where you send it, so will I. If the rocks cry out in silence, so will I. And as you speak... A hundred billion failures disappear where, you're, where you lost your life so I could find it here. If you left the grave behind, praise God, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you've done, every part designed in a work of art called love. If you gladly chose surrender, so will I. Are we persuaded? Are we truly persuaded that Jesus is all that matters? Because if we are, we're going to see things changing. We're going to be transformed. We're going to see transformation happening in our lives. And we have to honestly, introspectively look at ourselves and say, is that transformation taking place? And if not, there's a gift. We all have it. The Spirit is there waiting. For us to give up, give up that control, which is an illusion for all of us, and to make him Lord of our lives. And man, when we do, Katie bar the door. Isn't that a Texas term? Katie bar the door. What will the church be like if we are passionate disciples and disciple makers for Jesus? If our lives are the gospel of Jesus? Will we see our churches in decline? Will we see us losing our kids? Will we see 54% of Americans who say there is no absolute truth? No. The gates of hell will not be able to hold us back. The victory's won. We just have to believe it. And we have to be in the kingdom that will never disappear. I don't know if you offer an invitation. Is that your tradition? I don't know where you are in your journey, but that can change today if it needs to. Right where you are, come up here, talk to one of the elders. Come as we sing.